through the remainder of the service as we open your word and look into it that you would speak to us here this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the children that have uh, been in our service today. Thank you for so much for all that happened yesterday as they were up here working. And, and Father, just uh, the church in general, just pray your blessings upon us, your guidance, Lord, and I pray now that you would open up your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? I want to thank everybody that worked so hard yesterday. Um, I think that it was a, a great ministry, a great uh, a great gift to the community and other people who brought their children and were able to, to get away for a little while. A lot of you worked so hard, and uh, and I just want to thank you personally for all the hard work that everybody put in yesterday. The kids did a good job. They uh, they don't want to sing, do they? They get up here. Boy, I tell you what, we had one poor little boy throwing up out there in the foyer earlier. He was scared to death. But uh, we're just glad they got up here and made the effort, and I thought they did fine. You know, as I get older, I like Christmas less and less. Now, that may sound odd for some of you, but I think some of you can probably uh, know what I'm talking about. When I, I tried to figure out when this took place and what exactly the problem may be, and I came up with this. You know, my wife, she's always calling me Ebenezer Scrooge, and she says, you're just an old bah humbug, Dave, and, and I understand that. And sometimes I'll, I'll be in the middle of July, we'll be out planting flowers or something, and I'll be whistling, and she'll say, do you hear yourself? And I'll say, what do you mean? I'll, you're whistling joy to the world. And July, why can't you do it in December? I said, well, I'm just getting an early start for next year. I said, I, I don't even understand that myself, why I do that sometimes. Just things pop into your head. But um, I, I look back and I try to figure out, okay, so when did this, this dislike uh, for Christmas come about for me? And I think that it was when my, my children grew up, honestly. Um, when my kids were growing up, uh, I don't think probably, probably this is true for you too, and my children were growing up, Christmas was always fun. You know, you see Christmas through the eyes of children, and they just get so excited, and they love it. And it's just a great time of the year, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent at Christmas time, and you have access to your children, and your, your grand, uh, grandchildren are there and so forth. It's always a special time. Um, pretty soon my kids grew up. They became teenagers, and, and that's no fun. I'm just going to tell you right up front. When it comes to Christmas and teenagers, that, that's just no fun. But at any rate, um, they soon grew up and got married, and my son, who's the oldest, had two grandchildren. And about the time we moved down back down here to Texas, they were a perfect age. And so it was just a blast going through Christmas holidays with them at that great age where they could enjoy it, and we could enjoy them. And, uh, of course, then they grew up. Now one's in college and one's about to be. So that's no fun. And my other, my youngest daughter, she just had her uh, firstborn a couple of years ago. Maddie's two years old. And we don't get to see her because she's in Colorado. And it's going to be worse come January because she's having her second. Um, Avery will be born end of January. But she does do FaceTime with us and sends us videos and so forth. And we appreciate that. One of the good things about what she's doing is I get to see... Uh, Maddie, uh, discover Christmas. And it's, it's just very, very heartwarming to see because when Deborah, uh, well, when we had our children at home and they were small, Deborah just made Christmas fun. She just always has. So she's into Christmas. I'm not that much, but 
It, it does pose its challenges at times, but she did what we call or what was known as the Advent calendar. Everybody, anybody know what an Advent calendar is? For those of you that don't, it's this calendar that has boxes for each day. And uh, you can put something in the box or put a clue in a box from December 1st all the way through Christmas. And we did this with the kids and we put a clue in, or Deborah would put a clue in each each evening and the girls would get to open it up and there'd be something hidden. It could be a piece of candy, a puzzle, I mean something small. And so every night of December, they're getting something. Well, Bethany up in Colorado wanted to do this with Maddie, my granddaughter. And so Deborah bought her a nice wooden, very nice um, uh, box, um, advent calendar. And so each night she gets to open something and Maddie gets to pull a clue out and then she has to run through the house and find it. And again, a piece of candy, a sucker, uh, a, a cake of some kind, a little Debbie cake, or it could be anything. One night they, they went downstairs and put balloons or blew up balloons and put them all down in the uh, TV room in the basement. And Maddie got to go down there and she loves balloons and got to stomp on balloons. That was her gift for the night. So each night is a little bit different. Now here's, I'm leading up to something because in a minute you're going to watch a two-minute video that my daughter sent me of her first Advent calendar, the first day. I know you're going to think this is shameless that I bring you here to show you pictures of my granddaughter. And it is, and I don't care. But (laughs) there will be a point to this, I promise. And it will be worked into the sermon if I have to force it. It's going to be there. But... um, I just want you to know how this works. So um, this is the first one when, when Maddie first is introduced to this. Now remember, she's two years old. This will be the first Christmas that she really even begins to understand what, what's going on. And even now, as you go through this, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to look at her face because Bethany's opening up the little box and she gets to run through the house and find her, her present. She's a little bit apprehensive. She's not quite sure what this is all about, and she's a little bit uncertain, but you can see as she begins, it begins to dawn on her, hey, there's a gift involved in this, and you know, she begins to get a little excited. So I'm gonna, we're going to start the video, and just, uh, it's only two minutes long, so just bear with me here, okay? So if you would, just go ahead and start that. Open it up, and I'll read it to you. Just open it up and read it. What's it say? says, Maddie's surprise is in Avery's room. You want to go to Avery's room and find it? Yeah. Come on, let's go find our surprise. Okay. 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 Ready? Yeah. Okay, go. Let's go to Avery's room. Thank you. 
All right. <laughs> now, I'm sure you'll agree she comes from good stock, right? But, uh, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Just we get one of these every night, and it's always different. So special. So, you know, it does help um, with the, the Christmas blahs sometime as we grow older to be able to do that. Now, here's the point that I want to make. And if you noticed with her, it, um, it began to dawn on her as she went through this process for the first time that, hey, you know, this could be a good thing. You know, I don't quite understand it, but I think this could be a good thing. And I've noticed over the years as, we've, as I've talked to people that when it comes to understanding what Christmas is all about and the gift that God has given to us, it's like people approach this message with uncertainty. They're a little apprehensive. They're um, not quite sure what, how it all fits together or what it all means. But ex at the same time, they're a little bit hopeful a little bit excited over the possibility of what this could mean. And so I've noticed that this is just how we react to Christmas and to the message of Jesus Christ and to his coming. Now I want to share with you this verse, or this couple of verses. It's in Luke chapter 2, and looking in verses 10 and 11. It says, But the angel said to them, talking about the shepherds in the, in the fields, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I want you to notice something about what was said that night. It was good news. In other words, this is something that you're going to appreciate, something that you're going to want to hear. And it's going to cause a great deal of joy. And I want you to notice what it is that's given to them. It says, today is born to you a Savior. In other words, somebody to deliver them, somebody to rescue them. And he's born to you in the city of David. And I want you to notice that he says, this is great joy for all people. Everybody. This is something that ought to excite everybody. Not just the religious people and not just the good people. But every single person should be excited as they begin to understand, begin to comprehend, begin to think about the possibilities of what just might be true if they just let themselves or allow themselves to believe it, to try to understand it. Now, see, that's the problem with most people is that they just don't get it. They don't understand what it's about, therefore they don't appreciate it. It's hard for anybody to talk about you understanding and appreciating and, and being excited about the message of Jesus Christ and the gifts that God has given us if you just don't get it, if you can't put the pieces together, if you don't understand why he came, why he died, why he was born, any of that. And so as we move forward this morning in this message, this is what I want to try to share with you and to share with you a little bit about the importance of this gift and why it was given. You may be asking yourself, as you've asked year after year, every time this season rolls around, what's all the fuss about? What's it all about? A Savior has been born. A gift has been given. A substitute. A sacrifice. And even though it wouldn't come to fruition for 33 years, that night it was given. You see, when God the God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and He took on flesh. 
God took on flesh. And God was born for a purpose. He took on flesh, and it wasn't just that he was a cute little baby. Um, sometimes I think we lose sight of the reality of what's going on because we get so enamored by the cuteness of a baby. And that's to be understood. But we need, we need to understand fully what the purpose of his coming was all about. And so as we look at these passages, I want to encourage you to please take the time to, to pay attention, take the time to look at these. If you're here this morning and you have questioned this, if you've tried to understand what it's all about and what the significance of Christmas is and what it means and what this is all about, about a gift and a kid, a child being born and, and so forth, what, how does it all fit together? It comes together when you understand that God has given you a gift. And that gift was his son. And so what's the significance of the gift? What exactly is it? And here's what it is. So listen. God has given you complete and total forgiveness. He has given you complete and total forgiveness. See, that's really the gift. The son came and the son gave you forgiveness. Now let's look at a few of these passages that I've chosen for you today. And answer, I want to I kind of divide it up into three sections. The first section is this. I want to talk to you to begin with about man's condition. What does the Bible say about man's condition? I want to show you one verse, and here it is. In James chapter 2, verse 10, James says this. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now notice what the verse is saying. If you could keep all of God's commandments except for one, you'd be guilty of having broken all of them. Now that's a pretty strong indictment. But you see, this is the reason why it's, it, it's so foolish for you and me to think that God's only going to forgive you if they're small sins. Or that if you don't sin too much, God will forgive you. That somehow God will weigh it in the balance and, and maybe in the end he'll give you a break. That somehow God judges some sins as worse than others and somehow he holds you more accountable for those sins than he does for any others. But that's not the case. Because there are no degrees of goodness, there are no degrees of sinfulness. Not with God. It's black and white. If you sin, you're guilty. If you sin, you will be judged. If you sin, you're condemned. There's no, there's no middle ground here. And once you have committed one little infraction, one little one, God says it is just as, you are just as guilty as if you had committed all of them or broken them all. Man, that's a terrible condition to be in, but that's where we are. And this is why the Bible talks about the need for somebody to take your place the need for a substitute, the need for a Savior. And that's really what this message, what this season is all about. It's all about God sending you a Savior. If you and I were in a burning building and there was no hope of getting out and somebody braves the flames and comes and picks you up in their arms and carries you out of that burning building, you'd get outside and you'd hug them and kiss them and tell them, you're my Savior because you rescued me. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what it means when we say that God is your Savior. But this is our condition. Now, here's what God's solution is. Now, here's where it gets good. Because here's where you begin to understand what it was about this event. This event of Jesus coming as a baby. 
and taking on flesh, where it all begins to make sense. And where you begin to move from your skepticism and your doubts and your uncertainties to letting yourself believe something that you finally understand. And this is so important that you do. Here's God's solution. God decided that you and I were not able, and this has been known from from creation, you and I are not able to be good enough to walk with Him. We're just not. We're not good enough to live with Him for eternity. We're not good enough to be in His presence. We never have been, nor will we ever be, simply because of this fact we can't be perfect. We can't keep it all. We can't obey it all. And God knew that. That's the reason the Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world were ever laid, that God set this plan into motion. And that God chose that He would send His Son, that He would take on flesh, and that He would do what no man could do. And so He sent His Son, and He died on a cross. And in doing so, He became your substitute, your Savior. He took your place. Now watch some of the verses and read with me and follow along with me as I read some of these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Listen to what it says. God made him, this is talking about Jesus, just let me go ahead and put the word in there. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now pay attention. God made Jesus Christ to take on flesh so that he could become sin. What does that mean? Well, it means that when he died on the cross, he took, off, he took upon himself every one of your sins. All of them. And that in doing so, an exchange took place. God took your sins and put them on the sacrifice, and he took the sacrifice's perfection which it says here, Jesus, who had no sin, he says, now I will declare you to be as righteous as Jesus. And you're not, in everyday life, you and I sin. But remember, we can't do it. It doesn't come into play here because we can't, we can't clean ourselves up. See, this is the, the erroneous message that so many of us have heard, so many of us have bought into over the years, that if you just clean yourself up, God will accept you. God says, no, I won't because you can't be good enough. And there's only one way you're going to get there, and that's through the sacrifice, because just like I created you, I've got to be the one to save you because you can't do it yourself. And so this is what he did. And when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, he made a payment for our sin for all time. Listen, listen to these next couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 10, here's what God says. And he's talking about God's decision now to send his son. He says, and by that will or by that decision, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You and I, when Jesus Christ grew up to maturity and died on the cross, you and I have now been made holy and complete and righteous through the sacrifice of that body once for all time. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. This is what it's all about. Look down with me in verse 12. Just a few verses down in verse 12 it says this. But when this priest, talking about Jesus because he made a sacrifice, he's a priest. 
But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You and I need to understand the significance of this. He sat down because it was finished. One sacrifice for all time. Do you know how people were saved prior to Christ? Through the sacrifice of Christ. They were looking ahead as the prophets foretold he was coming. They were looking ahead and putting their faith in that. Since that time, we look back and we put our faith in that. The thing that's so confusing for some of us is this, is that because we can't understand how something that happened 2,000 years ago can have a bearing on my life now. How can something that took place 2,000 years ago, and you're telling me that it was a sacrifice for my sins, but, you know, you're telling me that I'm saved if I believe it, and you're telling me that I have eternal life and I can never lose it, and how is it that God can forgive me for something that I haven't even yet committed? How can God forgive me for sins that are yet of the future? How can God forgive me from the time I'm born till the time I'm dead? How can He forgive me for all my sins for all time? Well, let me ask you this. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins had you committed at that time? None. They were all in the future. And yet the Bible tells us that 2,000 years ago He died for you. Because he knew you even before you were born. And he said, I'll make the payment for, in my case, David's sins or your sins. Just put your name in there. And he said, I'll pay for it in advance. Now, here's the thing that confuses people. I understand being forgiven for past sins, but I can't understand being forgiven in advance for future sins. You need to understand from birth to death, they're all in the future. The payment's made. And when you accept it by faith, God says it's yours from start to finish. It's over. Now see, we're just like children. Because we want to believe it. But we're scared. We're scared to think that somehow this is a trick. Somehow you tell me that this, and it sounds too good to be true, and I can't accept it or I can't believe it because it'll be somehow taken away or... I'll be told later it was just a, a trick. It's amazing how we believe these things. All sin, all for all time. Let me share with you this other verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to this. He says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now look at the verse. There is no condemnation. So here I am, 2,000 years later, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven from birth to death, all of my sins paid for by the sacrifice. I have been forgiven all sin. And he says to you and me that those of us that have done that, he says there's now no condemnation. What does that mean? Well, it means that you and I will never stand before God to be judged and cast into hell. Never. Ever. Why? I don't understand that, Pastor. How is it that he would do that? How could he do that? He can only do it one way. And for one reason. 
because of the sacrifice, the substitute, his son, who took your place. See, your substitute is the reason why you and I can stand here and that you and I can express to some certainty pure joy and excitement over the fact of what he's done for us. Let me explain it this way, because at the end of that verse, if you'll read it, it says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's what happens to you and me when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain. There has, over the last few decades, become a, a medical practice that has become more and more popular as they've been able to perfect it, but it's called surrogacy. Uh, are you familiar with this? Let me explain it. Um, it's where a, a woman cannot carry a child. She, her eggs are, are fine and everything, but her womb is, for one reason or another, she, it gives her an inability to carry the child full term. And so what will happen is this. They will take the egg from the woman, the sperm from the man, bring them together, fertilize the egg in a test tube. And I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version here, okay? So there's more to it than what I'm saying. But they then implant it into another woman that is healthy, a surrogate, a substitute, somebody that fills in for the woman, somebody that she trusts, could be a relative. That egg attaches and begins to grow and is nourished. And inside the surrogate, this child grows safely inside the surrogate. Now, there in the womb, this new life is every bit the mother and father's life. It is their DNA, it is their biological child growing inside of another womb. And someday the child will be delivered healthy, hopefully, and and the, be given to the mother and father that it belongs to, and life goes on. Jesus Christ became our surrogate. The Bible says when we, when we come to him, and when we accept him as our Savior, when we believe this and accept it, that he becomes our substitute, but he also becomes our surrogate. Numerous times in the New Testament, it talks about us being in Christ, in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, God the Father saw us in him. We died with him, the Bible says. When Jesus rose from the dead, God put us in him, and we rose with the surrogate. We rose with the substitute. This is why you and I can say with a high degree of certainty based on the word of God that we have eternal life has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It's not about how righteous or unrighteous we may or may not be. It has nothing to do with that. Because you're trying to put degrees on righteousness and degrees on sin. The good news the angel told those shepherds that night in the field, he said there's a Savior born. There's a substitute born, a surrogate that is being born for you. And to give you eternal life. And God is going to place you in him to keep you secure until God comes and gets you. When you and I understand this, why wouldn't we? How could we not rejoice? How could we not be happy? 
And the very reason why we fail to do so is because we don't fully understand it. So what is God's requirement? I want to know how I get this. I want to know what I have to do to receive this. And there's only one requirement. I've told you already, but it's based on your faith, your belief, your trust. Over 150 times in the Bible, the New Testament alone actually, we're told that we're saved by faith. We're saved through believing. We're saved through trusting in Him. I want to show you a couple of verses. Now, again, pay attention, please, to these verses. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world, now that's you and me. Let's go ahead and put our names in there. I'll put mine in and you can supply your own. For God so loved David, that God gave His one and only Son, that if David believes in him, David will not perish, but he'll have eternal life. That's the promise God makes to you, that you have that, that is given to you. Based on what? Your belief, your faith. Listen to verse 18, just a few, few verses down. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You notice it doesn't say anything about your sin in that verse? It doesn't say somebody that sins terribly? It doesn't say that. It says, if you are condemned, it is for one reason and one reason only, because you have not believed. You stand condemned. You stand condemned Why? Because God has already passed judgment on you. Because you couldn't be perfect, God judged you already. And the judgment, God's wrath, God's torment, and eternal hell, and that's the whole point of why He came. He came to take flesh upon Himself so that He could take your pain, your suffering, your torment. John 3.36, just a few verses down, says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects Him will not see life, because the, the wrath of God remains on him. All you got to do to not be saved, all you've got to do to miss heaven, all you've got to do is to wind up in hell is just simply do nothing. Just simply do nothing. Because whoever doesn't believe, the Bible says the wrath of God remains on that person. There's only one way to heaven, and that is by way of the substitute, the one who took your place. But pastor, I don't understand, because what about my good works? Well, that's to come later. That's part of growing part of maturing, but it has no place in the salvation, the gift that was given to us. Let me read you a couple more verses, then we'll wind it up, okay? Romans chapter 4, verse 5 says this, however, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now look at the verse. Somebody that doesn't do anything worthy of heaven, no good works, it says. The one that does not work, does not 
keep the commandments, but he trusts in Jesus Christ. His faith in Jesus Christ is credited as righteousness in the eyes of God. Because why? Because you've got to understand that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he puts you in the surrogate, the substitute. And that faith is credited as righteousness. And God says, I no longer see your sin. I no longer hold it against you. What I see is the righteousness of my son. And I see your faith in him. Some people say, well, I don't quite understand what faith is. I don't understand how it works. What do you mean to believe in him? What am I, what am I doing? What am I, I believing in? How does this work? Let me read you a couple of verses, then we're going to call it a day, okay? Here are the verses. In John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Jesus is talking, and here's what he said. Now listen. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now let me tell you what this is talking about. If you go back into the book of Numbers sometime, in the back in the time of Moses, the, the Israelites had sinned against God, and God was punishing them again, as he did numerous times. And here's what he did. The Bible says that he sent into the camp where the Israelites were poisonous snakes, and they would bite the people. This was God's judgment. Some had become very ill and some had died. And they're praying and calling out to God to please stop and to rescue them. And Moses goes before the Lord and begins to pray. And here's what God tells him. He says, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to take and out of bronze and shape a serpent. Put it on the end of a tall pole. Go stick it up in the middle of the camp where they are and tell the people this, that whoever will just come out of their tent and look at that, if you'll just come out and look at it, I'll heal you. If you are sick or dying, I will immediately heal you. If you'll just come out and look at it. Now, what was he, what was he doing? He was saying, okay, who will believe me? See, who will believe me? Because if you will believe me and do this, then you'll be healed. Now, Jesus is quoting or looking back at that, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, just like Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole and the people were healed, he says, I, the Son of Man, am going to be lifted up on a pole as well. And here's what's going to happen. Everybody that looks to me, I'll heal them. I'll forgive them. You see, the looking to him, the calling upon his name, the putting your trust and faith in him, that's what God says I reward. God made it as simple as he possibly could. Doesn't mean it's easy because people just, we have the hardest time accepting this. But God said, I will make it as simple as I can. My son will be on the cross as a payment for your sins. If you look to that in faith, if you believe it, then I will give to you eternal life. It's yours. But God, that seems too simple. God said, I know. For you it is. For me it wasn't. I can't imagine what it was like. Can't imagine what it was like when God sent his son that night down to earth. Born of a woman. I can't imagine. Knowing what was coming. 
but God said, I did it for you. You want to know why we ought to be excited at Christmas? Because of that. Because of the gifts that God has given us. And we lose sight of that, and we think about all the other things that are so important to us, and I don't want to minimize this because these holidays are special times for families. But when you understand the gift that God has given, you can't help but get excited. That's what we need to do. We need to rejoice over that. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're in here this morning and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me help you through that process. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. The basic question is this. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with him? You're going to have to look to him in faith and to believe and to accept what God says is true. Or you're going to have to reject it and put it off. The Bible has told us, we looked at these passages already, whosoever believes, God says, I give you as a gift, a gift, eternal life, forgiveness. If you don't, and if you reject it, then the wrath of God remains on you. It's just that simple. The choice is yours. Right here where you sit, God says, if you look to me, just turn to me in faith. Right there where you sit. Lord, I believe. I believe what your Bible says. I believe that what you have done is true. I accept it as truth. And I'm trusting in that. I'm believing and putting my faith in that. Your son who died for me. And all you can do after that is say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that gift. Will you do that this morning? Right there where you sit. Now, we don't have anybody come forward here at the church. I don't want to make a spectacle of you, but I do want to know who you are if you're putting your faith in Christ. And I'm just going to ask you in the next second just to put your hand up and put it back down and say, Pastor, I'm trusting Christ. God bless you. Who else? Anyone else? I came in here today with questions and uncertainty and doubts, but I'm leaving here with the assurance that what God has done for me makes all the difference. Anyone else? Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overcome with the reality of, of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, sometimes we just lose sight of it. Sometimes, Lord, we, we lose the joy. We, we let so many things get in the way. So Father, I'm asking right now that you would help us this, this Christmas as we begin to realize again afresh what this is all about. And we dare to try to imagine just how great this really is. And we try to comprehend just how amazing your grace really is. Father, fill our hearts with joy. Fill us with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.